Hello, this is the second week of March 2020, and I'd like to give a special shout out and uh, stay safe to all the first responders out there for all that you're doing during this uh, national crisis. This podcast today is dedicated to you. Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and your entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Next, he set up the stereo on the bureau. For the time being, he just placed the speakers on the floor on either side of the bureau. He then rummaged through the box of CDs and came across a Tom Waits recording called Blue Valentine. He hadn't listened to it for a few years, so he put it on. These blue valentines do remind me of my cardinal sin. I can never wash the guilt or get these bloodstains off my hand. And it takes all out of whiskey to make these nightmares go away. I cut my bleeding heart out every night And I'm gonna die just a little more On each St. Valentine's Day Don't you remember? Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line Podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content, where you will find more detailed experience concerning Michael Conley and Harry Bosch. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe deep into chapters 34 through 37 of The Last Coyote. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explored how if you build the guts to do something, anything, you better save enough to face the consequences. Shape chapters 30 through 33 of The Last Coyote. And today we will be taking a deep dive into chapters 34 through 37. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intentions to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line Podcast, Harry Bosch.
it's time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. After Dr. Noho and Harry finish talking, Chief Irving joins Harry in his conference room. Chief Irving asks Bosch about his off-the-book investigation concerning his mother and if it could anyway be linked to the death of Lieutenant Pounds. Bosch awfully answers Irving's questions without disclosing the fact concerning Mattel and the computer searches and how Bosch utilized Pounds' identification to conduct them. Irving informs Bosch that his story checked out because Irving had called Jasmine and McKittrick utilizing the numbers he found in Bosch's notebook. Irving releases Bosch and instructs the IED detective to drive him home. In a last attempt to rattle Bosch, Lieutenant Brockman tells Bosch that Jasmine was arrested for murder, and Bosch violated the department's orders concerning affiliation with known criminals. En route back to his home, Bosch explains to IED Detective Tolliver to get out of IED. If not, he would be a prisoner to internal affairs because no one would want to work with him due to his association with the unit. Bosch also gets a call from Keisha Russell, requesting a comment concerning a story she's running that points the finger at Bosch as being the prime suspect in the murder of Lieutenant Pounds. Bosch convinces Russell that the story is a plant by Lieutenant Brockman in an attempt to smear him. Upon arrival to his home, Bosch is confronted by building inspector Gowdy. Gowdy states that he was tipped off concerning activities related to the house. Gowdy then grants Bosch five minutes to retrieve any personal belongings before he secures the premises, blocking Bosch out. Dejected, Bosch decides to take a residence at a hotel he used to stash witnesses. After unpacking, Bosch decides to follow up on an investigative lead concerning the reporter that wrote the story of Johnny Fox's death by a hit-and-run driver on or about September 30th, 1992. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues for the defining theme for chapters 34 through 37 of The Last Coyote is Balance is found in one who faces his guilt. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast. Harry Bosch. And today we start this episode off with recognizing how important the next few chapters in the Harry Bosch ecosystem or the Harry Bosch world that Michael Conley has created, how important they are. Because it is very revealing what Michael Conley wrote and for us to understand why Harry does the things he does. Because sometimes, you know, you say, what the hell is Harry doing? And I think the next couple of chapters, well, hell, this book, but more specifically, the next upcoming chapters, we really get to see why, what's at the root of what caused Harry to do the things he does. We start chapter 34 off with Bosch just saying, 
damn it, when is this day going to stop? You know, and you know, I think we've all been there where the hits, as we say, the, heat, the hits just keep coming. So Dr. Nohos leaves and then Chief Irving comes in. And like I said last podcast, we really have to respect the skills of Chief Irving. Specifically, we saw his street skills come back as when he uh, not carry on his ass. We also see his interviewing skills. And so what I mean by that is when Dr. Nohos leaves, Chief, come, Chief Irving comes in and he just sits down. And he just sits down and was sl- silent. And he folds his hands on the table and says nothing. <laughs> and, you know, again, for the book, after Dr. Nohos left, it was Irving's turn. He came in silently, took Brockman's seat, and folded his hands on the table and sat there saying nothing. He looked irritated. Bosch thought maybe he smelled the smoke. Bosch didn't care about that. He found the silence discomforting. Again, that's a classic interview technique. You know, you come into the room, and before you start um, speaking to the um, interviewee, you just sit there quietly. And you start to see if they get fidgety or if they try to give you a deadpan look or whatever. Um, but you try to get a measure of the person before you start interviewing them. And again, this is why we like, at least, at least this is why I like Chief Irvin. And one of the things I had to disagree with Harry was, Chief Irving pretty much told Bosch, you know, you could have, you knew what this guy was doing. You could have talked your way out of it, but no, you had to be quote unquote Harry Bosch and make another enemy. And Harry says, Chief, you need to get from behind your desk. You need to come out in the real world. Brockman and people like him were already my enemy. And it's been my experience, you know, the couple of times I've been to IED, that those guys were just doing their job. And I didn't feel a, a vendetta that they were coming to get me. Now, you know, I didn't like some of their techniques. And like I said, I kind of laughed because I'm just giving, uh, let's say, uh, ID Detective Jones. You know, they would literally do the skills. And I keep saying this over and over again. I, I said it back in the Black Echo, and I'm saying it again here. You know, Detective Jones would do the exact same uh, techniques that we were, we were in the class together. And I look at him and say, Jones, you're not trying to do the Jedi mind, mind trick on me, are you? Because remember, I was in the same class with you. <laughs> so you have something else newer to try to try on me? Or would you just ask me a question so I can get the hell out of here? So I never really found that the ID people were my enemy. But Bosch does have a history with ID. And to follow up some more with this conversation with Irving, Irving tells Bosch, well, you know, your, your alibi checks out. And, you know, Michael Conley, again, just, again, just to reiterate how we as in police are harder on our own. Because Bosch said, well, how do you check that out? He said, you know, give us some credit. You know, the numbers were in your notebook. Now, let's remember. <laughs> this is what I mean by that hard, we're harder on our own. They entered his house, Bosch house. They seized stuff he had on his person he bought in the house and then they went through it and then made some investigative leaps based on that search and no time had we seen a search warrant <laughs> or Bosch didn't give his consent and I even checked with some of my legal um my uh, attorney friends and again listeners if I'm wrong please I'd love to hear your feedback on this but the mere fact 
that they were in Bosch's house. Let's say they did have a warrant. Okay, fine. The warrant was for things that was contained in the house at the time of execution. They let Bosch come in, and then they searched his person and took things from him without his permission. And that was not contained in the warrant. So all along, this again, and we haven't seen a warrant. So all along, all the information that ID has been utilizing so far has been attained illegally. <laughs> At least no one has shown Bosch a warrant so far. And I was, again, that's just another example of Michael Conley getting it right. Because as you notice, Bosch is not complaining about it at all. It's just par for course. That's what he said before. It just comes with the territory. And explained that before. And I'm just reiterating what he said in the Black Echo. And one of the things that Michael Conley is going back to over and over again is we're starting to see some norms when it comes to the different personalities of the, um, Harry Bosch's world. And what I mean by that is Chief Irving usually used just his pure will to get things done. And if he can't give, you know, enforce his will, he's not beyond bribing. <laughs> and we see it happen again here because, you know, during their interaction, Chief Irving said, you know, when I was checking out your story, this lady down in Florida, she seems to be a nice lady. You, won't you go visit her? And when you get back, maybe we will talk about you going back on a homicide table. And then Bosch said, hey, is this a bribe or something? And again, we know Chief Irving's not beyond bribing because remember what happened back in the Black Echo when Lewis and Clark got killed and that whole fiasco, then it came down to that um, mastermind behind all those tunnel heists was an FBI agent. Irving told him to keep his mouth shut and he'll get back on the homicide table back at Hollywood. Again, so then fast forward to this book, he's pretty much throwing that carrot out there again. And I like how Michael Connolly sticks to the characters and how he's developed them because Irving is the type of guy, type of commander, or chief, excuse me, that will try to get things done just by pure force and intimidation. And when that doesn't happen, he has no problem falling back on bribery. So let's go back to the last podcast. Remember, Brockman brings Harry in and starts trying to push his buttons when it comes to killing pounds and everything like that. And then we see Bosch doing the exact same thing to Irving, trying to push his buttons to see if he can shake something loose from the book. I don't think I know what you're doing. It's easy. You pull the book on your mother's homicide. Why this particular time you've done this? I don't know. But you're out here running a freelance investigation. You have to stop it, Harry. Or I'll stop you. I'll shut you down. Permanently. Who are you protecting? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and when Harry says, who are you protecting? Irving face goes flush. He gets angry. And Harry then uses, again, and Michael Connolly has already told us, told you guys, how as investigators, we bluff a lot of times. And Harry now starting to bluff the chief a little bit. He said, I talked to a witness, and she remembers you knowing my mother back then. And he goes, what witness? Again, it's the same thing that Brockman just did to Harry that Harry got, uh, got so agitated about. But unlike Harry, 
Chief Irvin maintains his cool and composure and talks his way out of it. And one of the things that Michael Connolly gives us when it comes to Harry Bosch and what drives him, specifically the murder of his mother, from the book, Bosch began in a low, calm voice. If you were me, Chief, could you just walk away? What does doing what I do for the department matter if I can't do this for her and for me? Now it starts to make sense. Like, okay, of course, it's more than just solving the murder of his mother, but he's solved hundreds of murders for people he didn't know. And now the chief is asking him to stop a, um, a murder investigation of his own mother. I think that's impossible. I think, it, you know, that's an impossible feat that any one of us could do. It does give you a better understanding. At least it gives me a better understanding of a lot of the drive and the recklessness that Bosch is displaying in this particular book and specifically at this particular time. Did you guys pick up on that very powerful statement between Harry and uh, Chief Irving from the book? I did nothing wrong, Irving said quietly. Sure you did, Bosch said just as quietly. He leaned over the table until he was only a few feet away. We all did, Chief. We let it go. That's our crime, but not anymore. Again, he's not letting, he isn't Harry, is not letting himself off the hook. And McKittrick, this case haunted McKittrick to the point where he told Harry, it's just one of those cases you'll find out when you leave the department, a few cases stay with you forever. So. Mar- Mar- Marjorie Lowe's homicide stayed with McKittrick. And Bosch himself has said that, you know, he's been on the department now for almost 15 years. And he wasn't ready at the time, but he picked up the murder book, put it back on his shelf. He let it go. But he says, not anymore. You know, I'm past that. I'm now ready to face this. And I thought that was just a very powerful statement. So as Harry is about to leave. Irving says, sit down. And Irving begins to run down the events concerning the discovery of Lieutenant Pounds. And now, okay, I'm being, maybe I'm being um, paranoid, but I don't trust Michael Connolly. Did you guys pick up on the fact that Pounds' body was found in a tunnel? Again, you know, it could be an innocent way Michael Connolly wrote it, the book up, but I don't trust him. (laughs) I don't trust him. Because, the tunnels have been such a big presence in Harry Bosch's life. And the fact that now his nemesis was found in a tunnel, I just thought was too much of a coincidence. And I told you, as now you guys are experts at it, we don't like coincidences. So I don't trust Michael Connolly. <laughs> and that's one of the things, if I ever get, uh, get a chance to talk to him or interview him or ask my question, that's one of the questions I'm going to ask um, Michael Connolly about. So Irving then continues to tell Bosch about how they found the body and Pounds' autopsy. And during the autopsy, comes to find out the dude was tortured. And tortured in such a manner that even Mr. Clean, Mr. Junkyard Dog, Chief Irving, found it hard to get those images out of his head. And then we see Harry's guilt starting to catch up with him because as 
Chief Irving is telling him the story, he's unable to control the impulse to go regurgitate in the, in the toilet. And another very um, comical interaction between Bosch and Irving during this time from the book. So Bosch finally said, looking at what happened to him, the torture and everything, you immediately thought of me. That's a real vote of confidence. <laughs> and then Irving comes back and says, you put a man's head through a window, Harry. What, we, what are we supposed to say? Oh, no, the great Harry Bosch would never do that. Come on, be for real. Everyone's a suspect until they're cleared. And that is true. Everyone's a suspect until they're cleared. That's, again, as a cop, I take that. I understand that. That's part of our culture. And you need to understand if you're in the law enforcement world, don't take that shit personally. Like Irvin said, everyone's a suspect until you're clear. Again, I had plenty of times when I fucked up a crime scene by touching something and I had to give elimination prints. You know, I could say, oh, yeah, I touched that bottle by mistake. Yeah, asshole. Give the equivalent to Donovan. Remember who Donovan is at Lab Tech. Give him your fingerprints again. And we're going to have to, you know, do elimination prints for, on you. That's part of the job. And you can't get in your feelings. And after um, this interaction, Harry says, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. You had, to, you had to go through the motions. I totally understand it. You know, and one of the things that I really thought was interesting, because I like how Michael Connolly shows Irving and Bosch spitballing when it comes to the hunches on what took place to get pounds out the house and who could possibly be involved and when those two work together I think they are a very unstoppable team and to just to summarize the uh, conversation between Harry and Chief Irving Irving also asked Harry to say hey look this freelance investigation concerning your mother could that anyway be involved in the death and or the investigation of the homicide of Lieutenant Pounds. Harry says, well, I really don't know. You know, this investigation involves a lot of important people and important people keep other important people around them. So I don't know. And I love how Michael Connolly, again, shows us just how good of an investigator Chief Irving is. From the book, Irving looked at him through those dead eyes. Bosch knew he was trying to determine how much was true and how much was bullshit. <laughs> you know, again, you know, you, well, what, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. And I think uh, Irving is a good bullshitter also. Uh, he, he's in politics at this level, so it's to be expected. And you can see tacitly Irving is accepting Bosch's resolution saying, hey, just leave me alone. Let me do what I got to do. From the book, what did you tell me, Bosch? I'm telling you to leave me alone. I have to do this. I'm the only one who can. I'm telling you to keep Brockman and everyone else away from me. Irving stared at him a long moment, and Bosch could tell he didn't know which way to go with this. Bosch stood up. I'll keep you in touch. You're not telling me everything. It's better that way. And so we see Irving is trusting Bosch. No matter what, he's still trusting Bosch. Because even though he's running a freelance, because Bosch, Irving knows Bosch is a good guy. He might be a loose cannon. And he might go against the grain. 
but he knows that at the um at Bosch's heart, he's a great investigator. And what frustrates Irving about Bosch is that he can't control him. But at the same time, he does value Bosch's skills. So as Bosch and Irving finish up, Harry asks uh, Chief Irving, well, how am I going to get home? And Irving then calls down the IED and has uh, Detective Tolliver take Bosch home. So when Bosch goes down there to ID to look for Tolliver, we see Lieutenant Brockman come out and tells Bosch that Jasmine was a killer. And you know, something from the book. Bosch wanted to ask a thousand questions. He felt a deep void opening inside as he began jettisoning his feelings for Jazz. Like, God damn, Harry. I mean, that's all it takes? Brockman? And that brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day comes from The Last Coyote, chapters 34 through 37. After being cleared, for now, of the murder of Harry Pounds, Harry is alone and is contemplating the events that just transpired. From the book, Bosch sat on the newly made bed and leaned back against the pillows propped up against his headboard. He lit another cigarette and studied the wounds on the two fingers and saw that the scab had been replaced with hard pink skin. They were healing nicely. He hoped the rest of him would too, but he doubted it. He knew he was responsible and he knew he would have to pay somehow. Question, should Harry pay a price for Lieutenant Pound's death? Simple question, yes or no? <laughs> well, like first, before we get into that, thank you again for everyone who participated in the poll. Uh, again, I always tell you guys, I really appreciate you guys taking out the time and giving me your feedback. And I got a lot of great feedback on this um, particular question. And as of the recording of this podcast, 62% of you say, no, he should not <laughs> pay a price. While 38% of you say he should pay a price. I just say, you know, I love you guys because I get shocked by your answers. And I just knew when I first started out, everyone was saying, yes, 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 yes. He should pay a price. But then all of a sudden, bam, the you know, everyone then started saying, nah, he shouldn't pay a price. <laughs> so, should he not pay a price because Pounds was such a prick? Or should he not pay a price because we love and care about Harry Bosch? And, you know, I, again, I'm amazed and I'm really thankful for the interaction and the feedback and the comments that you guys took time to, uh, to give me um, concerning this particular question of the day. I love the fact that my listeners, you guys are rough. <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. And as I always say, doing the question of the day, I feel like I'm rambling. So let's get back to hitting the streets. As we come out of the question of the day, 
Michael Connolly's giving the reader a glimpse into the law enforcement and specifically a detective's mindset from the book. He knew he had to compartmentalize his thoughts. As much as he was confused and curious about what Brockman had alluded to regarding Jasmine, he knew he had to put it to his side. At the moment, pounds and what had happened to him was more important. Remember, I told you that before that you can't take your emotions into an interview. And I told you one of the uh, catchphrases that I used to say was, it's showtime. And that's me compartmentalizing my thoughts, getting myself and my emotions in check to accomplish that mission. And right now, Bosch has to set aside his emotions and stay focused on what happened to Pounds and how important that is to his investigations. Now, that comes at a price. Because I have to raise my hand. I used to do this, and I've done this at times in my personal life. Because when things get tough, it's easy to start compartmentalizing and not showing emotions towards things you really should not compartmentalize. And you should show emotions, especially again on the personal side. And I have to raise my hand, and I've been accused, and I've done that to loved ones before. And compartmentalizing at the wrong time can cause a lot of hurt feelings and strife in your personal life and family. So when Bosch and Tolliver are driving, Tolliver's taking Bosch home, they have this conversation from the book. You told me it wasn't too late. Too late for what? Too late for you to get out, Bosch said, recalling the words he had thrown as a taunt. You're still a young guy. You better get yourself out of ID before it's too late. You stay there too long and you'll never get out. And that brings me to a story, and I hope I didn't repeat it, but hey, if I did, bear with me. But you know, when I became, just as I was um, promoted, and before I got my detective badge, the old guys in the squad took me out, and they took me out to drink on duty. And this was a test to see if I would drink on duty because I was an enigma. No one vouched for me. I got there on my own merits. Remember, I told you before, I didn't let anyone know about my dad. And I didn't let anyone know uh, who he was because my dad was kind of a legend, especially in patrol. You know, he ran the streets. And I wanted to get things done on my own merit. And so I got to this unit, the narcotic unit, on my own uh, gal and uh, it been sneaky. I told you how I got into classes. So I was this enigma. And everyone kept asking me, who do you know? Who do you know? And to the point, then people started you know, checking around and said, well, no one vouched for him. He must be an IED plant or something like that. But then I, you know, for a whole year, and that's what happens before you get promoted, you are a temporary and you are a probationary detective for a year. And then they evaluate you and then you get promoted or not. So as I was about to get promoted, all the old heads took me out to start drinking. Hey, hey, congratulations, Phil, and throw one back. Now, back then, no IED guy would drink on duty. And so that was one of the quick ways to determine if I was an IED plant or not. And they did all this because what Bosch is saying here, what Michael Conley is saying through Bosch here, is nobody will want to work with you if you are an IED. Because once IED, you always have those hooks into ID, 
and you start thinking like ID detectives and nobody will want to be around you and no one will trust you. So I understood this. Well, actually, you know, again, you know, I had my, my father as a mentor and I, he told me this was going to happen. And so I was prepared. And so when they took me out, I'm not a drinker. And, but I became a drinker that day and I threw back a couple and as I was throwing them back and they made me pay for the rounds because I'm newly supposedly making a lot of money detective. Um, everyone pretty much said, okay, this kid is, uh, he's the real deal. And no one worried about me being a ID plant from that point on. And something else that Tolliver and Harry talked about from the book. Look, I want to work out of Parker Center. I don't want to wait 10 years like everyone else. It's the easiest and fastest way for a white guy to get in there. Now, like I always said, I've always liked the fact that Michael Conley is not afraid to go there. And he actually went there concerning something that a lot of people don't talk about. And I witnessed what Tolliver is talking about here. So to give you context for those listeners who don't understand what I'm talking about, there used to be, and it probably is still in some parts of society, but it really used to be prevalent in the police department and, and more specifically, specialized units, a, what they call a good old boy system. I think everyone understands the good old boy system. And the good old boy system excluded females and minorities. And the, the departments tried to combat and diversify these good old boy systems would then put in females and minorities into specialized units. You know, one of my heroes is Secretary of State General Colin Powell. And one of his famous lines is, diversity is about recognizing that every human being is a gift to a community. Diversity is strength. Um, I agree with that. And Colin Powell, since I've been following him, always fought for affirmative action, but not at the exclusion of someone else. What I understand, Colin Powell, what he means by diversity here is the way that we, especially if you're in the public service industry, like being a police officer, or in his instance, in the army or military, is how can I best serve the community if I don't have representation of the community. But he's never said lower the standards. And a lot of the times when departments were instituting a more diversified um, law enforcement force, they didn't take into account that you're really hurting and hamstringing the unit by just putting anyone there, qualified or not. And I lived through it. I can tell you right now, since I told you, I did not use my father's fame and or name to get into this specialized unit. And people, when I got there, people thought, just like Colin Powell said in his book, his memoirs, that people said, well, the only reason you got promoted is because you were black. And a lot of the white guys were resentful for that. And, but, you know, again, um, I'm not trying to get too on my soapbox here, but I was started out by saying, because, you know, sometimes I can ramble people. You guys know that. That Michael Conley is not afraid to go there. And he went there 
And I think it's worth a, a conversation because I do believe in affirmative action. I do believe in a diversified law enforcement community. But I don't believe that you should put anyone, black, white, male or female, in a position that's not qualified. If everything's equal, let's have a diversified unit. But everything has to be equal. You have to qualify before you're assigned into that unit. Now, I know that's going to get me into a lot of trouble with a lot of different folks. But, hey. This is when I do anything that's safe. I always, I told you guys, my mouth gets me in trouble. <laughs> so just before Tolliver drops off Harry, he gets a call from Keisha Russell concerning a story that Lieutenant Brockman had planted. And you know, again, as I started this podcast today, Harry has to be saying, can this date ever and can it get any worse so harry tells keisha hey give me a call back in 15 minutes then i will be able to talk and as upon arrival to his home bosch is met by the city inspector gowdy again he's just keep getting you know <laughs> he's having a rough day and gowdy says quote unquote i gotta call someone with bootlegging electricity and then we see harry make a mistake you know from the book look gowdy he said, just spell it out, okay? I'm slow about these things. Tell me what you want, and you got it. I want to save the house. That's all I care about. Gotti looked at him for a long moment, and Bosch realized that he'd been wrong. He could see the indignation in Gowdy's eyes. You keep talking like that, and you can go to jail, son. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to forget about what you just said. Look. I'm sorry. Bosch looked back at the house. It's just like, I don't know. The house is the only thing I got. You got more than that. You just haven't thought about it. Now I'm going to cut you a break here. I love how Michael Conley shows that Harry is not above making a mistake. But I also like what Gowdy says. You know, Harry has wrapped up so much in this house and he's fighting City Hall. And what Gowdy's telling him, Dude, you got a lot more to life than this house. So then Gowdy gives Harry five minutes to go into the house and get all his personal items. And he grabs his jazz collection. I thought that was just, just great about uh, what he found and what he valued most was his uh, personal effects to include his whole jazz collection. And then Keisha Russell calls back. And says, well, I got a tip that you're the prime suspect. And Bosch said, Keisha, we don't even use that terminology, prime suspect. That's a TV thing, which is true. That is a TV thing. You know, we don't go around saying, I got a prime suspect. You just say you got a suspect. And Keisha also gives Harry the information that she located Monty Kim. Now, remember, Monty Kim was the reporter who wrote the story on uh, Johnny Fox and the run, um, how it was whitewashed that Johnny Fox was working for Conklin. So Harry now is kicked out of his home and he makes the decision to go to the Mark Twain and live there. So after he settles in at the Mark Twain, Michael Conley puts us in the mood of Harry Bosch. And I love how he puts us in the mood by the music. 
and the music just immerses me, gives me that 3D connection to the story and the motions in which are going through Harry Bosch. Again, Michael Connelly is a great writer, but if you can write something and then have a music behind it, it's like the soundtrack of what's going on in this particular chapter. I just love how he does that. And that's why I always put it on the website and I post it on social media because I, it really gives a context. It really even takes you in deeper to what's going on in the story that Michael Connelly is uh, writing about. Of my cardinal sin, I can never wash the guilt or get these bloodstains off my hand. The taste of all out of whiskey make these nightmares go away. And I cut my bleeding heart out. Every night And I'm gonna die Just a little more On each St. Valentine's Day Don't you remember And that brings us to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person for chapters 34 through 37 of The Last Coyote is once again Deputy Chief Irving. Now, I've said it already, so I'm not going to reiterate it anymore. I like Chief Irving for these four chapters because what he represents. Well, even before then, remember... When Harry and Chief Irving are talking, Chief Irving says, dude, I'm trying to help you out here. If you don't see that, you're a bigger fool than what I thought you were. Again, and he is. You can see right now he's trying to help Harry, but Harry's blinded by his obsession to find who killed his mother. Again, understandably, but Chief Irving is trying to reach out and help him. And not only is Irving trying to tell Harry he's trying to help him, but he also tacitly approves Harry to run an off-the-book investigation concerning the death of Harry's mother. So for all those reasons, in these four chapters, again, my everyone counts or no one counts person for chapters 34 through 37 is Deputy Chief Irvin Irving.
Clues chapters 34 through 37 review of The Last Coyote. Hey guys, like I said, this was a very informative four chapters. And I hope you got a lot out of it because it, for me, gave just a little bit more glimmer into why Harry Bosch does things. And it really sets up the rest of the Harry Bosch series. So I hope you found it very informative. Continue to go to Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, continue, continue to write to rate us five stars or better. And like I say, comments, comments, comments. I love your comments. I love your feedback. Those comments are valuable. And I try to incorporate those comments into the podcast. So thanks a lot and continue to give your comments and feedback. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where you will find a more detailed experience concerning Michael Conley and Harry Bosch. So next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will continue our deep dive into The Last Coyote, chapters 38 through 41. I'm Philip Parker, and on 10-7 for the remainder, 